I actually remember a mentor that I had in that job said to me, you know, you're actually a really interesting person outside of work. How can you never show that in your day-to-day life at work? And I honestly didn't know what to say to her. Um, (laughs) I reflected a lot on that since then. And it actually made me realize that I am a different person at work, or at least I used to be. And now, you know, however many years later, I am able to be my true full self at work. And nobody has ever said that to me again. This is the podcast, Creative at the Wheel, and I'm Julie Clare. As a transformational life coach and creativity guide, my life's work is helping people reshape their lives from the inside out. Here, I have deep dive conversations with luminaries who share about their own transformational journeys and how they became soul-sourced and creatively juiced. May their stories uplift and embolden all of us. Let's jump in. My guest today is Danielle Cadhit. Danielle playfully says, quote unquote, I've done my life backwards. Early on in her big job with Big Pharma, Danielle spent a lot of time feeling like an outsider in her life and never quite fully belonged anywhere. It's been a very recent aha that she was never meant to live that way, that leading from the edge and in between is the reason she was put here on this earth. She has made core changes in how she directs her life from connecting with her ancestors to tapping into her intuition on a regular basis. She now sees herself as an artist first and continues to explore creativity. While in her professional life, she follows her passion for creative systems design in the world while making a big impact as the director of systems and emergent strategy at CEO, a global community of radically generous women transforming the way we fund, support, and celebrate women-led ventures working on the world's to-do list. So welcome in, Danielle. Thank you so much, Julie. So excited to be here talking with you. I love connecting with you. Thank you. I am too. We recently were on a call together and I said, Danielle, I really want to have this call for the podcast. I really want to dive in a little bit. So I want to start with, just give us a a little snapshot of what it is to be you right now. Who are you? (laughs) How can we meet you? Yeah. How can we meet you? To be me right now is um, having multiple interests at any given time, following any curiosities that come my way. Sometimes, you know, you'll get really honed in and focused on a particular thing, but I like to pay attention to the signs and symbols around me and see where they lead me. Um, And so far it's led me on several different side quests where I've been exploring my curiosity and creativity and really returning to my artistic practices. So as you had mentioned, I do find myself as an artist first, and I'd love to explore what that actually means to me because it's taken me a winding path to, to brand myself as an artist once again. Got it. And this is where you are now. And, and that quote, when we were talking, you said, I've done my life backwards. Who were you? Who were you when you weren't this way, being led by curiosity and really coming in and new to your creativity, what was this big pharma or your background that when you said you kind of had the, the big job that you've kind of left behind? What, what was that, Danielle? Like? Well, I think before we even go to that, Danielle, I want to take it back to my roots. You know, as we had mentioned, we uh, were talking a little bit about how I've been guided by ancestry 
And it's really important for me to talk about my roots and where I came from. You know, I was an infant immigrant in what is known today as Canada. And I was born in the Philippines and came here when I was about four or five years old. And I've always found myself very curious about what it meant to move to another country. Like, what is Canada? What does home mean in a new context? And so when we landed here, everything was was new. And, and I was so curious, like, what is snow? Um, where are we going to live? Who are these people? And I always think about who I would have been had this not happened. You know, my country has had a long history of colonialism that I didn't know about when I was younger. Um, and I've had to learn a lot about that uh, in the last couple of years and how it's really shaped me. But you know, coming into Canada, being the daughter of immigrants, you have a lot of pressure to succeed in this world, especially having been brought here to live a better life. And so I've been conditioned with what they thought the idea of success was going to be. I went to school and was told, you know, here are some pathways for conventional success. And this is what you would do to honor and make us proud. And of course, I wanted to choose my own path from the very beginning. And so even throughout my studies, I was changing my major every single year and following my curiosity only to find myself in what um, we had talked about. My first post-grad job was in uh, big pharma and uh, corporate consulting for big pharma mostly. And so I thought that finding myself in a bubble of healthcare was in some way helping other people and truly, it, it was not that experience at all. And uh, that, that experience really sucked a bit of my soul um, out of me. And I learned a lot with that foundation of what it means to work with big corporations and how those values do or do not align with mine. Right. And so when we go back there to these roots, and there you are in Canada, and there is this, you know, hope or drive maybe speak a little about what it was like to grow up in that. Um, yeah. With immigrant parents. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that I look fondly on, like there's so many things that I could say right. um, that were not great about my childhood, but I, I do think that family is really, really important regardless um, of everything. And I grew up in a home where the values of collectivism were very, very important. Um you know, North America has a lot of individualistic values. And I grew up in a home with 15 plus people under one roof. We cooked together. We prayed together. We, uh, there was always somebody at home to take care of the children. I grew up with my cousins, uh, my aunts, my uncles, my grandma. And so I was always surrounded by family. And uh, there's two sides to the coin, right? Like I loved being able to see how it takes a village to raise somebody. But at the same time, they were really entrenched in some of the values that I had to learn and unlearn for myself, whether that was right or aligned with, with me. And so um, I really appreciate having had that experience growing up. Um, and as you had said earlier, right, like I had always felt a bit like an outsider and like I was on the edges of um, different spectrums as it relates to my intersectionality and my identity, you know, growing up in a low income neighborhood, but having so much richness and cultural abundance um, in my family support, I think 
I really had started to espouse those values of collectivism um, from early on while still understanding what it means to grow up um, in an immigrant household. Higeta, what, what do you think your sense of belonging was when you were growing up? My sense of belonging growing up was always in my imagination, <laughs> if you can believe that. I was always making up different worlds in my imagination. I loved the things that I was watching on television. I specifically remember watching Art Attack. It was the show um, on, on television where they would just create all of these gigantic murals out of found objects. And I found a lot of that belonging in being able to sculpt different worlds and different creativity. So in your imagination is where you were really, you felt that belonging. Yeah. I mean, in a way I, I kind of feel like um, I felt a lot of love and nurturing from my family, but at yep. times it would get really, really hectic and I couldn't even find a moment of silence or peace in my house. And so I had to play in my own little world sometimes um, in order to find my peace and find my sense of belonging. I get it. And so there you are, you've graduated from college and you've got this, this first job where you're in healthcare, it sounds like with, um, and, and it, it kind of, you said like a healthcare bubble and you thought maybe it would help people, but it's not, what was, what was your inner life at that point? Like in your imagination, what was going on in terms of inner talk or, um, how hard or easy was that time? I think at that time, one of the things that I can very succinctly recall is having the drive to succeed as a daughter of immigrants and then having had to pay my way through school and then feeling a lot of pressure to be independent. Um, as much as I loved living with my family, I had always valued independence and being able to stand on my own two feet. And so it was really important for me to find my own way. And I knew that in order to do that, I had to be able to support myself. And so this job was really an avenue for me to be able to start doing that. And so through this, I had been incentivized to work hard, to put in several hours. I was working maybe 12 plus hours a day. I was learning a lot, certainly. Um, but at the end of the day, I think I was incentivized by money. I was able to uh, get myself a one-bedroom apartment uh, at the age of 22, finally move out, paid off all my student debt. And I was making a lot of money. And I think one day I just realized, like, is this all that there is? And I was feeling a little bit empty inside. Like, is this really all that I was working so hard for? Is there anything more? And so on the outside, I was able to achieve a lot of conventional success markers that I had strived for. And then there was also that little sense of, you know, telling my parents I was able to make them proud and do it on my own terms in some way. But I knew that there was going to be an inflection point from here on out. Otherwise, I would remain really, really unhappy. What did your parents think of the, the, your job and the life that you had gotten going that young at 22 and you're in your own apartment and you've paid off a lot of debt and all this stuff? What, what was their sense, do you think? Honestly, I think there's always this sense of, of course, they're going to be proud of you. But they were always wondering if this was the real thing. Um, they did not want me to move out whatsoever. It's not really a thing that you do in my family. And they were always questioning 
my every move. And I know that they were doing it lovingly uh, to be able to support me. And so I think it's, it's really funny. They said at the end of the day, like you didn't want to go into this field, but that's where you ended up. And so it was a little bit of like, I told you so, um, but we're proud of you anyway. <laughs> mm. So what was it like when you were then, okay, this is, I mean, I feel like we could talk about your family uh, a lot, but we'll see if it comes into the conversation as we go even more. Um, mm. And, and this sense of belonging, I hear a, a, a lot of um, activity at home. It's a lot of people. Uh, and, and, and a lot of us escaped our imagination as we're growing up, but there you are, you've actualized in a way you're, you, you knew you needed this and you got it going. Um, what, when you need, you knew there was a change coming, what was that like for you internally? How hard, what kind of help did you have to, to make that shift or was it a small steps or was it leaps and bounds or. Honestly, it was very isolating for me at the time. Yeah, I recall not being very relatable with a lot of friends that I had back then, and some of them who are still my friends now. Um, I remember not them not being able to relate to me at the time, so I didn't really feel like I could verbalize some of those problems um, because they would say things like, "It's really challenging for me to find a job," or like, "You've already got it figured out. I don't know why you're complaining." And so I almost had nobody to turn to. And if my family knew that I ever wanted to quit, they would not really respect that decision. And so I had to take it upon myself to figure out my next move. And so one of the things that I did was I actually did start to seek therapy and speak to other people in terms of what I should do with my career and my life and the direction that I wanted to go in my life. How did you find out? Was that through mentors or who were you able to talk to about your work life? I think when I wasn't able to find anybody in my immediate life who I already knew, uh, it was really important for me to be able to find somebody else to support. And so I didn't have any friends or family who uh, were doing therapy at the time. And so mm -hmm. I remember going through this service where I was just matched with different therapists and was able to find one that suited me well. Um, and at the time I was just working through all of the different things in terms of work life balance, what it meant to have a wholesome life, what would make me really, really happy. And I remember the time when I felt most alive because during my studies, I was able to work. I actually worked at least two to three jobs while I was studying. I was volunteering. I was having a really, really great social life. And so at the time I had remembered, you know, is there something that I can do um, in my spare time, whatever little spare time I have that would bring me joy? And so I immediately went to a website where they had volunteer job postings. And I remember seeing something that caught my eye. And that was really the click to the transition that led me to the social purpose path that I've been on for the last couple of years. And I thought that I just wanted to find something to volunteer at, but it actually shifted me into working in the nonprofit space over the last couple of years. Wow. How long ago since you graduated? How is this like a 10 year span or? So I graduated 2013 mm -hmm. and I think somewhere in the, in two years after that, I was starting to make a shift in the industry and the sector that I was working at. Wow. Right. So therapy, therapy really helped and you found the right person or right people. Honestly, the therapist that worked for me was one who was able to actually um, challenge some of my thinking, 
right? If you find someone who's just going to sit there and like sob, let you sob and let you say like, oh, it's going to be okay. Like I had a couple of therapists I spoke to who were just there to listen to me, but the ones who were able to deliver harsh truths and really reflect back some of my biases and the things that I wasn't seeing in myself led me to the place where I realized I had to make a change of some sort. And the things that I thought were making me happy were actually the things that were not. Do you remember any of those questions? You don't have to, if you don't, but that kind of woke you up a bit in in, in a session like that, one of these hard truths? I think one of the hard truths was along the lines of being fulfilled in different areas of your life. And I've revisited that a lot in my spiraling journey. And it's not about the work that you do and who you are, um, what you make, how much money you make, what your title is, what you do for a living. I think a lot of us who have experienced burnout and have had workaholic tendencies have ascribed our identity to these, these values of work. And so I had to really decouple that. And it took me to realize that my identity outside of work, I had no hobbies. I didn't know what I loved doing. I didn't know who I was outside of, of that career path. And so it led me to realize that there's more to life than what I do for a living. And working 12 hours a day is not necessarily the most sustainable thing. Got it. Do you remember, do you remember, or can you, can you share with us like a hobby that did start or something that was outside of work that you did start to do? I don't know if that was a volunteer opportunity or if it was something else um, that wasn't just the work, right? That you started going, wait, what do I love? What do I really want to do here? It's a great, I love you exposing that. Yeah. Honestly, one of the things that came up in my session was what do you want to do? And when was the last time that you felt playfulness? in your life. And I don't know why, but the first thing that came to my mind was I want to jump into a ball pit. A ball pit. What's a ball pit? So, you know, I don't know if they have these anymore. They might be hazards now, but growing (laughs) up, they had pits where they just had all these balls that you could jump into. And yeah. Yeah. So they actually had one of those um, at the time and it was for adults. It was in this like play gym uh, ropes course. And then it had a ball pit at the end, I think. And so immediately I signed up to go do that. And I think from there, it really started to, um, make me realize that I wasn't taking care of my body. Right. And so one of the things I started to do was find different physical activities that would help me align with my physical wellness and, and, eventually my mental wellness as well. Right. So the playfulness of jumping into a ball pit made me realize that the movement that I needed in my life was beyond my career movement. It was my physical movement. So how, how, how long did that take? Was it, was it, wait, you looked for the volunteer job. Did that come first or that you noticed that it awakened something new or did it start with the question, when's the last time you felt playful? And then what could that be? And then you thought ball pit and you went for it. I'm just curious, was that the starting? Was that the big start? I think it all happened at once, right? We were exploring different things in the wheel of life outside of work and really realizing that I was overdoing it in that area and needed so much more. And so different things like relationships physical activity, playfulness. And so the volunteering was certainly one of the things which then ended up shifting 
over to work. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, I was able to make shifts in the right direction and really balance out my approach to what a holistic view of a full life means for me. And what about that role of playfulness? Because I don't know you well, but the little we've talked, you, you to me are a very playful person. So what was that like to get that question asked and to realize, oh my gosh, I'm definitely over, over not being playful here. And like, is that something you knew you were and it was sad to, to realize that you weren't being it? Or what was that, what was that like? I mean, I think a corporate job just sucked the soul out of me. I knew from very early on that office life was not for me. Um, and so I've always been very playful and there's always been that side of me that for some reason has felt really serious or took things too seriously. And honestly, I think not being able to have the freedom to be myself in a work environment played a huge toll on why I was feeling that way. I actually remember a mentor that I had in that job said to me, you know, you're actually a really interesting person outside of work. How come you never show that in your day-to-day life at work? And I honestly didn't know what to say to her. Um, (laughs) I reflected a lot on that since then. And it actually made me realize that I am a different person at work, or at least I used to be. And now, you know, however many years later, I am able to be my true full self at work. And nobody has ever said that to me again. Man, right? Uh, it sounds like you were caught, you, you had an experience of being in a situation or people trusting they could say it, but being called out, like saying what they weren't seeing, almost like from care. Does that... Um, you know, I'm just thinking one of the questions when I was 19, someone asked me, Julie, are you happy? And I was floored. <laughs> I'll never forget that. That's partly why I'm asking those questions because it's such a basic question, right? But she asked me, I didn't know her really well. And without going into all the, the whole story, it, it, that question changed my life because I realized I wasn't asking that question. That wasn't part of what I was doing at that age. And so then everything started, I had, I had a new awareness to, to look through a new lens, but to, to relate to. So when I hear this around playfulness, I kind of thought that was a bit of a, it was a bit of a, was it, would would you call it a nudge? Would you call it a, a door opening? Like, wait a minute, I am playful. How have I forgotten this? Yeah. I mean, I think I had the same experience, um, being asked some of these questions that, I never was able to ask myself, and now I reflect on these things constantly. Um, Actually, after we had that session, I immediately was like, I had this reaction of, I never want to speak to this person again. Who does she think she is saying that I don't have a full life when I think I'm doing great for myself? And so it took me a while to really unlock myself and unwind myself from all of that conditioning and all of that seriousness that I was placing myself under. And of course, there's a lot of pressure having to stand on your own two feet, being independent. You can't just up and leave. And I certainly felt very alone at the time, having to um, support myself and not have anyone else to turn to. And so it did, did take me a while to really look in the mirror and say, are you happy? What would make you happy? And is it, is it what you're doing right now? 
I hear it's not an easy question when you're in that place, is it? I agree. I, I mean, I'll never forget. I had tears. I mean, I was just like kind of broken, like, oh my God, like almost shame. You know, how could you see that? Like, I've been, but so, but there you are playful, right? And wait a minute, I'm giving everything to work. Wait a minute. Even at work, they're saying you're, someone's saying, God, you're really an interesting person, you know, outside of this. What I know that at some point you took a sabbatical, but what, how, what was the big shift with work? How did you start I hear you were looking for things not work to do and you started going that way, right? So how did it go with work? How did that proceed? So after looking into volunteer opportunities, I ended up finding a job full-time doing grassroots organizing and I was the operations manager. And I completely felt like it was a 180 from what I was doing before. You know, sector change, job function change, a different culture, different set of coworkers, different opportunities, different ways of being that um, really set the foundation for who I am today. And at the time, I didn't know it, but I thought it was just a jump in the right direction that I needed to take. And sometimes I can't place a specific reason on why I did it. And oftentimes, I know that it's just like this gut feeling inside that I have to do it. And I really didn't have a choice at the time. Um, And so I felt that gut feeling and I went for it and I just didn't look back. And I just knew that this career choice um, was going to point me in the right direction towards values that at least were aligning. I got it. And um, what about your gut? How tuned in was that kind of the first really big, powerful decision from your gut. That's a pretty big, bold move, by the way, you're taking care of yourself, supporting yourself. I mean, that's a big move into the nonprofit sector, right? From this kind of pretty high up, you know, secure, whatever, or mainstream kind of job. What, um, what about the gut? What about signs and intuition? I hear you felt it in your gut. What, what was already alive in you at that point in terms of what you're listening to? I mean, I don't know if it was just me jumping in the ball pit, but that's essentially what I did when I made that big jump. And the moment I saw the the stark difference between the two cultures I was living in, I knew that I, I was in the right space or at least moving towards the right space. And it was a lot of time that I spent in um, grassroots activism And I remember thinking to myself, is it the right move to align your career with your values? Um, Is this going to lead to a different type of burnout, which it did? And now looking back at that time, I was failing forward in a different direction, but I don't regret the choice that I had made. And how, how so? How did it become failing forward? I would say it was failing forward because instead of being able to take a look at work as something that you um, just clock in and clock out to do, I had almost never been able to do that in my career thus far. Um, But I don't think that being able to heal from burnout actually meant jumping to another job. And so it took maybe three jobs in for me to realize that jumping from job to job was not actually the way to find myself. And that's when I took the sabbatical. Got it. 
Wow. Right. Um, so it didn't, so the answer didn't, couldn't be found in the job itself or redoing the job. So what, so what, tell me about the sabbatical. What was that like? How big of a move was that? I mean, talk about gut reactions and listening to your body. Um, I was what I thought at the top of my game in the social enterprise stage. I was running a makerspace in downtown Toronto and really, really enjoying what I was doing, really being able to be immersed in creativity, technology, community, people. And I was from the outside doing really well. I was working out, eating healthy, had a great vibrant social life. And one day, it was in the summertime, I won't forget it. It was actually the Friday before Labor Day weekend. I was hosting a community event that week. And for some reason, I was leaving the meeting room where I had just done back-to-back calls and I fainted in front of everybody. And I don't know if it was just that it was a hot day or I was exhausted or what, but that fainting moment really woke me right up. And so I was just shook for the whole entire weekend. Didn't know what to do. I was not prompted by any questions from anyone asking if I was happy. I just listened to my gut and knew that I needed to not work immediately. Like I couldn't tell you why I felt that way, but I just knew that that it was what I had to do. And you did it. Yeah. I didn't have a plan. I didn't know how long I would need to not work. I walked in Monday morning and we were going to be talking about next step strategy. And I just had to stop and say, I think I really need to stop working right now. And, you know, we had been talking about, do you want to do part-time? Is this just like a momentary thing? And I said, no, like, I love working here. I love everything I do, but I just really think I need to do this for myself. And I just need to stop working right now. See, when you say this, I just, I melt in a way because there's, what is that conversation that says when we're doing really well and we even really love our work, we enjoy our work and we can still, still not be where we're actually needing to be at that point. I mean, that's partly what I'm hearing. Um, and I think, um, you know, the people I work with sometimes that's a, a, it's a really hard point, but I like my job and I like everything about it, but there's something underneath that's like, it's, you know, it's not, it's not what I'm here to do. It's not, there's something else, right. But for you as a real body, you fainted. There's a real body happening, right? Mm, yeah. I like to say it was like the day I died and came back to life and found myself again. You know, who am I if you peel away all of the layers of who my identity was associated with my work and what I do? We spend so many hours in front of our computers if we work as knowledge workers or in our day jobs. And it does take a lot of our our space and our identity and our minds. But I wanted to focus on things that had nothing to do with the value that associated me with making a living or receiving money and income. So you are very aware at that point, it's, it's not that the job is wrong. It's not all these different pieces, but there's this identity I'm keeping together. That's not together. That's coming apart. Yeah, absolutely. I just really wanted to know who I was outside of this facet of my life that I was overworking for a long, long time and jumping into a ball pit was not going to solve it this time around. 
God, I just left the ball pit. Um, so, <laughs> you know, yeah, this isn't going to solve it. So there you are. And so what did that mean? You said, no, I've got to stop, right? Big move. And then what was that about? What was that like? How, how hard, how painful was that? At first, I did not know what to do with myself. And in the past, when I've switched jobs and roles, I wanted to make everything nice and neat for people, wanted to make sure things were dealt with, handed off. And so I spent the two weeks following that, just writing up so much documentation, doing everything I could to set everybody else on staff up for success. But I made it very clear when I was leaving that I love everybody as individuals. I'd love to stay in touch and learn about what you're working on, but please refrain from asking anything related to work um, over this period of time, because it was no secret that I was leaving for X, Y, Z reason. I had fainted in front of everybody that day. Right. And so they knew that there was more to it than um, whatever, whatever other reason they would say to you, like, I just want to move on. It was very clear. And I made it very clear to staff that I was doing it for myself. And so I set those boundaries really, really well um, because I wanted to focus on my healing. And so at first it was very, very strange to just wake up one day and not do anything and not have any deadlines, not have any emails, not have any responsibilities from a work perspective. And so eventually it just became the new normal. I could wake up at any time of the day and think to myself, what do you want to do today? And then I would go and do it. It's amazing. Isn't it? That's amazing. And what about your fears with money and providing for yourself? Did you just deal with them or what, what was that like? Oh, that was definitely huge. Sure. I, mean, I could yeah. have made, I could have made so many excuses to not do it, but I was very fortunate that I had a lot of savings backed up for me to be able to not only just take a sabbatical, but also to do it well and do it justice and sure, at least provide the basic survival for me to live, but then also for me to enjoy myself. And it actually made me realize what is most important to me and the things I would actually want to, um, that I would want to invest in. You know, I didn't go into scarcity mode. For some reason, I just outlined specifically, like I didn't have a very specific budget. Mm -hmm. But I did categorize the things that I wanted to ensure I did throughout this sabbatical period that was at the time undetermined how long it would be, right? Like I knew I had X months runway and it could be this long if I wanted it to be. But again, I was very, very, um, very particular about the things that I wanted to ensure I was keeping up for my own mental and physical wellness. And so the things I immediately ensured that I had room for in my budget were I did have access to mental health support. So I did see a therapist yep. um, at least bi-weekly. And so that was a really, really, really big saving for me in terms of having somebody to speak to because, you know, even my partner, he didn't know necessarily how to support me in this time or like what I was going through and I needed to be able to speak to somebody else. And so investing in that was a no-brainer for me at this stage. Um, and then it was really important that I had a community of people that I could work out with. And so in my past experience, after jumping in the ball pit, I found um, my physical wellness and 
my love for fitness. And so I was able to invest in a, in a class pass membership where I could go to boxing classes, I could go to spin classes, and I could explore around the city. And so those two things immediately were things that I knew that I wanted to make sure I had room for. And then everything else was just like up to my own exploration. Wow. Do you, when you look at this now, do you, do you see that as a great act of self-love? Do you see it as a, a survival, a, a deep, deep knowing that this is, that it was a must, like it really wasn't a choice at some level? How, how do you, how do you see it now looking back at that period? I think I was just battling with not falling into the scarcity mindset and having enough of a belief in myself that this wasn't a pit of despair and that this was actually an opportunity for myself to completely reinvent who I think I am, what I believe, what I love, what I don't love. And it allowed me the space to really reclaim what I wanted in life and get back to my roots. And so waking up every day with yourself and your mind and no other noise to um, pull you into a direction that you aren't prioritizing or, or don't want to explore. It was just a very, very challenging time for me to be able to embrace the abundance of what I had right in front of me, first of all. Um, and I think it was just a, a really playful time. I will say like, I wanted to take a look at this period of time and look back and think, yeah, this was actually a really, really great moment for me in my life. And it contributed immensely to the inflection point of where I'm going to go next. It's so beautiful. You know, what's um, in talking with people, with these interviews, I, I'm starting to see how often it happens that people somehow have unplugged for a many month period at a certain point to that allowed the change that allowed some other trajectory to start in or some other path to, to show up. It's like really unplugging. Um, so I just, thank you for sharing that. Um, it's so beautiful. What, what, what was it like? What was the thing that led you back in or to work in terms of, I'm, I'm hearing transformation all the way through it. Well, actually, I want to first ask you, what was it like with your family during this period? Because that's, <laughs> that's, so that's hard. Yeah. It's so funny that I never mentioned this because I actually never mentioned it to them. We, exactly. we have never spoken about this period of my life in this time. Um, and whether they know that this is what was going on or not, I intentionally chose not to open that up because it would bring me to a place of fear and scarcity that I didn't want to go into. And I knew that I had the resources and support to handle it on my own. And I just, I just knew that the reaction to it was not going to be one that would suit my healing for the time. I get it. And did you manage to see them during that period or did you just stay away? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like we were, we were talking um, and it would just never come up because I think throughout my career paths, I've been changing so much and um, they never really understood what it was that I did for a living. So eventually they just stopped asking. Got it. And yeah. sometimes they'd ask questions or like family members or even family friends would be like, you know, how's work going? And I'd be like, it's good. And that's really all that there is to it, right? 
um, I just knew at the time that it wasn't really a conversation that I wanted Absolutely. to open up. hundred percent with you self-care and also a lot of love there, right? Um, they're all the way around. Like they didn't have to go through that with you necessarily, right? That wasn't, um, what, what was the first thing that pulled you back more into the world? Uh, what was the, what, what got you, how did you move from this into the, you know, kind of, how do we get from there to where you are now? What got you out of sabbatical really is the question. (laughs) What got you out of that? Well, one of the things that I did uh, that we didn't speak about is I had already had a trip planned that I booked prior to the decision, the snap decision that I had made. And so I did this trip and after the trip, um, I was coming back to my real life. I spent five weeks um, in my home country and I came back to Canada and I think the new year rolled around. And so, of course, the new year's around and you're thinking about what do I want to do this year? And I thought to myself, I think it's time to start exploring options. And so I didn't know what to do with myself in terms of work or the world of work. But I was feeling the pressure of starting to do something after six to seven months. I guess at the time it might have been like five. Um, so I was I was looking gently at different opportunities that might pique my interest in what I might want to do. And my strategy at the time was to not find a job that would be all encompassing. Um, And I just wanted to find a job for once, just a job, just something to, to do for whatever it is, 40 hours a week. Then I get to go home and work on whatever it is in my life. And I had never done something like that before. So this was my challenge at the time is find an employer who will respect my work boundaries. And at the end of the day, I get to focus on me because the way that we set goals for ourselves in our careers, I didn't want to think that way anymore. It was just going to take the backseat of my life. And so I set out goals for myself that were personal and I wanted those to be the things that I work towards. And where were you at this point with signs and your gut feeling and instincts? What, what kind of conversation were you having at that point? I think I felt more like an outsider as I started to explore different options for me. Um, I did a couple of interviews in, here and there. And I think at this point, I was not being picky. And so I would just be very, very open and honest with the way that I work, how I don't believe in nine to five bums and seats. I just believe in results and having people just be able to trust who you are, your work ethic. And I th- I thought that the results would speak for themselves in how I was able to contribute to a work environment. And so all of this, of course, was before COVID happened and working from home and the great resignation, right? right. And so at the time, people would just scoff at what I thought were very reasonable demands. I I said things like, it's really important to me that in the afternoon, if I feel a dip in my energy, I have at least an hour to take a walk, go for a run or work out. And if that means that I have to stay later a little bit, and maybe it's an hour and a half, I would just like the flexibility to be able to do that. And for for some people, they took that as this person is not dedicated to their work, She just wants to stroll in and do whatever she wants. And that really wasn't it at all. And so I had a lot of people advising me after I would tell them about these experiences to back down 
and just tell employers what they wanted. But I've never really been the type to people please and do that. I just kind of stuck to my gut and ended up finding some somewhere that was able to respect some of those boundaries. Amazing. Did you ever go and say, I'm not working nine to five or it's really about results. It's not about how many hours I put in. Did you ever say that? I mean, I don't know if I specifically use those hours, uh, those words exactly, but I went into it with that type of mentality. And I think I have a lot of confidence in the way that I'm able to deliver results or my work speaks for itself. And I think a lot of employers should just be able to trust in their people and the, the work will follow. Oh my gosh. It's so good to hear you speak. I mean, I just, I'm rooting for you. I mean, I'm back there just rooting for you. Uh, right. And how not to get caught up in all of the stuff that led to burnout, how not to go down that path. You, I, I hear commitment. And you I know hear- what it was, Julie, I really think decoupling my worth from what, like from what I did for a living and how I made a living and not assigning my value to compensation or what I charge was actually very, very empowering for me because I knew my worth and it wasn't just like what income I was making. It's like, what am I willing to do and what do I desire in this life and what's important to me and how can I ensure that those priorities are protected and not those of whoever I'm working for. That's so beautiful. And, um, we could we could spend a whole podcast talking about your current job, but we're not going to. I have been interviewing people from CEO. Uh, just has happened that way because I'm meeting a couple. I have to tell you your story. I am blown out from the bottom up at this core change. What you just talked about, decoupling your identity and value from how much you were making and from that job identity that you had that confidence that you knew you were good and worth it, but there was something else needing here. The needing that you really. I hear commitment. I, I just want to say that again. That, but tell me from that place, that stance, that, that place of being, how important was that claiming that commitment or whatever you want to call that, that stance that like, you know, this is something you don't want anymore. How important was being that strong with that to lead to where you are now with your current work that does seem really in alignment? What can you tell us about like how that became the new ground or not, or is that still in process? I think I've finally found a place for myself where I was able to say what I need and have that be respected, be trusted for who I am, not just what I can do, but who I am, my being. And that's just been so valuable to me. And then also being able to do work that is very inspiring to me and actually motivates me to get up and do something about it. You know, so it's just been a blessing to be able to find the balance that I have been searching for. And not every day is going to be a cakewalk. It's always a cyclical um, balance of being able to have those high periods of high intensity and then also just relaxing and celebrating. And I've been able to more, um, more harmoniously balance those aspects of my life and my career. So Really, really how, feeling it. How how rocky was that that transition from starting? You did find somebody that could work with you in that way to where you are now. How how has that just been a matter of a couple of years? Or I think it's a been it's been a matter of time, a matter of having the confidence in myself, 
being able to speak up for my own boundaries and knowing myself enough to know what works for me and what doesn't, being able to voice that. And I think the more that you're able to do that, and we find people who are able to understand their own boundaries and what they're willing to stand for, it actually helps others to recognize that they can do that for themselves. And it creates the culture of trust and transparency that I think a lot of workplaces need. And it's only time before others need to adopt some of these practices too, right? Yeah. What's, what's your biggest source of inspiration right now or what, what helps you the most? We're getting to the end of our talk here, but what right now, what, what feeds you the most to, to manage that, this? Yeah. The thing that feeds me the most is just being surrounded by nature. I find a lot of inspiration in nature. And in fact, one of the things that really pulled me during my sabbatical was just going back to the ocean. And so every time I feel a little astray, I find myself going to the ocean and just being near the elements in order to return to a grounded sense of being. And how's the role of creativity? How's your art? How does that play a role? I think for sure, a lot of the elements of nature in the everyday speak to me. I often see signs in animals and different things that come through to me as I'm paying attention and actually looking at my window. You know, right now I'm looking at my window and I'm seeing a bird chirping on the tree in my backyard. And when you actually take the time to look up and away from your screen, you see that there's such a world of wonder out there. And it reminds you and brings you hopefulness in such a, a world of what can lead to fear and scarcity and isolation. Absolutely. What would you say right now that if the word commit, do you have the word commitment in you? Does that live in you? What you're committed to? How would you speak to that? I mean, I would certainly say that I have commitment to my, I've recommitted to myself. I've recommitted to community and I've recommitted to values that align with the way that I want to go about living my life. So yeah. What a beautiful tale. Uh, Danielle, we're going to jump off right in the middle. Uh, <laughs> feels like I'd love to hear more even about your practices. I, I feel such delight when we talk, such real presence in life. I want to thank you for jumping on with this. Thank you so much, Julie. You're welcome. Well, that's today's podcast of Creative at the Wheel. Before we go, I want to invite you to check out my Creativity and Spirit Online Retreats. Experience for yourself the breakthroughs and support available when you engage your creative self in a safe and playful community. Begin here if you are ready to ignite your own transformational journey in a joyful way. You can also learn more about my one-on-one coaching offerings on my website, paintbiglivebig.com. Thank you.